welcome to Global, a podcast from the International Republican Institute. I'm Dan Munns, IRI's Director of Communications. Typically on this podcast, we look at how countries and people are progressing towards or sometimes away from democracy. Other times we look at a theme like press freedom or corruption. But right now, COVID-19 has captured the world's attention, and it's captured ours too. The global pandemic is straining health systems and governments. But there's another side of the story. Right now, around the world, there are people mobilizing to preserve and even strengthen democracy through this crisis. In this series of Global, we're meeting some of these democracy-first responders. We'll travel around the world, virtually of course, and talk to politicians, activists, medical workers, journalists, tech pioneers, government officials, and everyday citizens like you and me. These are very different people, but everyone we spoke with has one goal in common, to respond to this crisis successfully and protect their country's democratic institutions, or even build new ones. Today, we'll hear a conversation between IRI's Sam Johannes and Narayan Adhikari in Nepal. Narayan is the Nepal Country Director of the Accountability Lab, an organization dedicated to ensuring that those in power remain accountable to Nepalese citizens. Situations like the coronavirus can quickly become a catalyst for social conflict through the spread of rumors and misinformation. Unfortunately, Nepal is no stranger to this dynamic, but neither is the Accountability Lab. After the Gorkha earthquake in April 2015, the lab immediately began gathering, validating, and disseminating essential information so citizens could decide how to react and hold the government accountable for its response. Recently, the lab launched the Coronavirus Civ Acts campaign to counter COVID-19 disinformation, give citizens access to real facts, and give leaders the data they need to make better decisions. So, Narayan, for members of our audience who, uh, who are not aware of the situation in, in Nepal. Could you just start off sort of giving a, a broad overview of what the uh, the impact of coronavirus has been like for the average Nepalese citizen? Um, what is the what is the government response been like uh, in Kathmandu and, and throughout the country? Thank you. I think this is a very bad situation, I would say. The whole country is locked down uh, since last two weeks. And though the, the Nepal is a small country, however, the, the impact uh, seems big. Uh, you can, you may have... You may be hearing a sound from from there, like the policeman is coming on a van, informing about citizen about how to, you know, how to take precaution on the, um, you know, on, you know, on the virus and etc. So the whole country is locked down. Um, there's a shortage of supplies. There's a fear of uh, being infected, uh, and there's a, um, you know, there's a lack of lack of the proper information that people needed. Everything shut down. The schools shut down. The businesses shut down. You know, the movement obviously shut down. The life um, is very, very quiet. Though we don't have much uh, cases until now. It's only nine confirmed positive cases, and is 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 one of the reason is because we don't have enough testing kits. Yeah. So overall, the life is really, really, you know, in a pandemic situation. Is there is there a sense of uh, like a lack of confidence in the healthcare infrastructure in Nepal? Absolutely. You know, our healthcare infrastructure has been very, very poor. So public health system in Nepal is not really well managed, well established. So 
though we have uh, we have hospitals in every districts and the you know uh, different parts of the country's public you know the public health systems is wild uh, you know wide network however the facilities and the quality of the services is is really really low with lack of uh, you know infrastructures that you know with, with lack of infrastructures and the equipments and, and and the health you know healthcare workers as a result the people are very very afraid of and even people just having flus and you know seasonal flus you know are are afraid of going to hospital and and many hospitals in different parts of the country including the private hospitals are refusing people to take in with the fear of the corona as the as this hospital lacks proper you know protective gears and and of the health protective gears of the health you know health workers and the frontline staffs and we 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 don't really have enough uh, ventilators we don't really have enough uh, icu beds and and so many other things that is that is needed and we we don't really have so we i would say we have a zero uh, infrastructures in 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 response to covid however gov- you know government recently start established um, several quarantine facilities in different parts of the countries where people coming from other countries uh, especially from india and gulf and and the malaysia you know coming coming in there are putting in the quarantine and isolation and and how uh, what are some of the other steps that the government has has taken thus far in response to the to the outbreaks i think for the, for for the government for now is the the priority is to limit the the social distancing the physical distancing as a result this lockdown has been very very effective however only in the uh, you know the urban cities still in the rural areas people seems moving from moving from here here and there and people are still working on farms um, and and you know so forth uh, there's another another response from the government side is to really make sure that there's enough testing labs are set up and there's enough uh, you know ppp uh, you know and the other protective gears available for the for the healthcare workers and also the the response on providing uh, supplies to the poor and uh, ways workers who otherwise would not uh, you know make their livelihoods and at the same time the government is also trying to work with uh, companies uh, and the nepal army to procure uh, you know buy stuffs from from other countries mainly from china has there has there been much outreach to uh, to india as well or is it primarily just china primarily from china because <clears throat> india india has already said that they are not exporting any uh, you know health related supplies so there's there's only option is, is the china so um sort of uh, pivoting a little bit situations like like coronavirus, although it is a bit of a novel situation, but can become a catalyst for uh, for social conflict. Uh, it's uh, it's it's sort of a um, it's ripe for misinformation. It's ripe it's it's ripe for sort of these deeply entrenched power dynamics to 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 come come to the head and be a point of friction again. How are you seeing seeing these sort of things play out in Nepal now, and and how are you looking to combat? No, I think I think this is this is very very important question, and uh, often uh, when. There is a there's a situation like this even right after the earthquake we had the we had an issue about like how people cope each other and how they how uh, you know one society you know perceive on other societies as there is a shortage of basic supplies there's a there's a you know there's a lack of mobility and government is if government is not much efficient in in supporting people when they are in need 
and also a lot of people they are stranded in the in the in in the borders between India and Nepal. So they want to come in Nepal um, at the at, you know at this difficult period of time. However, government has completely locked uh, the borders and they are not allowing to come in. And in one hand, they are saying we want to come to Nepal and you know we we would be happy to be in the quarantine. But on the other hand, government is saying that no, you 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 cannot come in. The situation like those is creating a more much more tension and the frustration on the citizens. And there's another issue is like you know in remote areas where there's a there's a difficulties on 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 so providing supplies to the people and people are already begin to demand their basic needs like foods and medicines and you know uh, water and those stuff so when my guess is that when people are hungry or people are not uh, getting enough support there is uh, there might be a chance that people will defy the government rules that situation it is difficult for the government to to, to handle and in many uh, community they already um, you know it's the coronavirus uh, it's also become a stigma if somebody is coming from outside, let's say from India or from from Gulf countries where we have a lot of migrant workers, you know that they are not treating well, and people are looking into looking them as a as a sort of like a career career, uh, you know, a, a vehicle for trans, transmitting um, disease, and they they begin to you know discriminate uh, those people, and people coming from outside the countries are feeling bad, and you know it's creating more sort of, you know, psychological trauma on them. What are some of the things that, that citizens are doing uh, to to break down these barriers, to to bridge connections between between people and, and sort of, um, you know, re- reduce this friction? Uh, I think in various parts of the country, different, uh, different people are trying different things. So the first is, uh, you know, the, the active civil society on the ground and the youth groups and media, including radios and all, you know, first uh, they are trying to debunk rumors and sort of fake news and misinformations. And second, they are also uh, trying to support people in supplying, you know, the basic needs like foods and waters and, and those kind of things. But in some some places, people are also working with the local governments hand in hand, uh, you know, providing uh, more support in informa- information disseminations, you know, and also providing uh, other healthcare facilities, uh, etc. My colleague who connected me with you told me a little bit about the coronavirus Civax campaign. Could could you tell me a little bit about this? Oh, sure. Thank you. Um, I think the Civic Acts um, is a is a model. What we call, you know, it's a feedback model. You know, supporting supporting for supporting local governance uh, government to to make decisions based on evidence. Uh, we've been doing this for five years, uh, right after the earthquake. So we are. We quickly mobilized our networks and, uh, you know, in different parts of the countries to to gather rumors, concerns and questions from the communities and to eliminate information gaps between government, media, CSOs and the and the citizens. And we know that, you know, during pandemic or any kind of disasters, rumors can, you know, can can spread uh, anytime. And these rumors create confusion, and chaos, and it might also create some kind of social uh, you know, violence, uh, etc. So through this civic acts campaign, so we are, you know, debunking rumors, but at the same time, mobilizing our networks and the communities, including uh, radios, you know, local civil society leaders, the entrepreneurs, the filmmakers and, and theater artists, so that, you know, they, pro- they help in providing the right information. We are also connecting the suppliers, the, uh, you know, the service providers to with the people uh, who need support. You know, for example, we're working with a lot of migrant related organizations who can help in providing right information to the migrant workers. But at the same time, um, you know, other facilities like what services that 
that are available, what are the what are their rights and entitlements, and how to get those services and extra. So we're basically, you know, connecting people, citizens and CSOs and the media so that everyone can can get connected and 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 get help from each others and this is a model that that developed out of the uh, the experience following the earthquake in in 2015 Absol- absolutely yeah yeah in 2015 you know it, there was a sudden sudden accident so we we didn't know how to operate ourselves so we quickly mobilized our network we went to the affected areas and listened to the people and supplied this information to the humanitarian organization and government so we we found that worked really really well in terms of you know accessing the needs of the people so here uh, i think the uh, it's it's again you know it's quite a similar situation however this one is affecting the whole country the earthquake was affecting only in certain part of the countries but now uh, in this case the whole country is shut down so we are still mobilizing our our network to really you know mobilize uh, the efforts uh, collectively uh, so that at least people wherever they are uh, well informed empowered and and engaged with with the people they are uh, you know, concerned with I, a well-informed population is 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 essential for for a Absolutely. for a, an effective response. Looking ahead, I think us in in, in the democracy and governance world, we're, we're we're looking at this as sort of this is a paradigm shift. This is this is something. This is both something on a shorter timeline that you know how do we respond to people's immediate needs as as democracies, but then this is also a broader question of of how do how do democracies um, respond you know, uh, in the, in the longer term, I think we're going to see a, a pendulum swift, a, a pendulum shift towards sort of, uh, stronger, uh, executives, you know, there's, there's going to be the, uh, an appetite for more, you know, stronger centralized government in, in, uh, in, in the wake of all this, there's always sort of that, that tendency. Um, are you concerned about that sort of trend in Nepal as well? No, I think every, um, disaster or situation like this, every, uh, chaos situations become, could become an opportunity for for people who wants to um, you know manipulate their interest. So we already have seen some symptoms of corruption uh, on the on by you know, purchasing purchasing medical equipments and other supplies from China. As a result, there was a delay in purchase of the the supplies. So people could have get uh, you know the doctors and the health workers could have already get the protective gears and the, their motivation to have you know boosted so that they could. They could go and work in the hospital. We could already have get a, a very high quality equipments. So the protective equipment that we got from China have already, a lot of them have already disqualified and was not WHO standard. So as a result, the government has to scrap the contract, the agreement with the private companies. And now they were they have given this task to the Nepal Army. Which I think, as a democratic country, if we sort of you know begin to give more responsibility to army to purchase things, it's not a good sign of you know it shows that the government is not really able to to handle the situation. Um, there's another thing is that though we have a very strong government, a very stable, strong government leading by Nepal Communist Party, however, the government is not really willing to incorporate ideas from civil society, incorporate ideas from the opposition's parties, so they are working on silos. Uh, it's okay if they, they are strong, they're evil, they are, they are doing best. Well, we are okay, people are locked in, so they are, they are people will uh, anyway support uh, the, the efforts of the government, but the government is not really doing things effectively. And there's another thing that I would also like to mention that while 
there are many countries like USA and, and you know, in, in, in the European countries, in, I would say the democratic countries are facing their own challenges and, and they're now, you know, busy in, in managing their own crisis. You know, China, on the other hand, is, seems more relaxed and expanding their wings. And Nepal obviously have no choice at the moment to get support from China, including, uh, you know, whatever, whatever support or grants or loans or free equipments are, are buying. There is no choice. We need, uh, we need to get the you know, materials from there. However, uh, we also need to be careful in terms of w- what we want to compromise. Uh, uh, you know, do we, we need to be cautious. We need to be careful whether that the process will promote our democracy or, or not. So I think at this time, as government is trying to do th- stuff on their own, but people, on the other hand, are demanding more transparency and accountability and information around these processes. And you know, hiding information is one of the one of the big issue uh, at the moment. So in last one month, when government started, uh, you know, all, all kind of response was not clear enough and was not fully transparent. So and everything was chaos. Even today, even until today, uh, we don't know how much money they they are spending on buying. PPP and where those materials are going to come here and how they're going to distribute and what quality and which company China is going to provide that. I think we need supplies, we need materials at, at this difficult period of time. We cannot really compromise the life of the people. However, we cannot, we cannot you know, uh, have the luxury of, of, of ongoing pandemic. We can, people are obviously giving a benefit, benefit of doubt to the government, but at the same time, they are demanding very high transparency and accountability. Is the, the purchase of PPE, is this something that the Civic Acts campaign focuses on, this sort of information as well? We, yeah, we try. We try, however, as getting those information is very difficult. So what mm-hmm. we do is we track rumors and confusion and question. For example, there was one big rumors or confusions uh, around the quality of the, of the materials that were brought from China. And the people who are saying that all those PPP brought from China will, you know, will be sent back to China. And then we, we couldn't find the, the real facts around that. We don't even know like how many kits or how many, uh, you know, PPE being disqualified. And in, so, yeah, we are trying to get those information, but it is, it is being very, very, very difficult. So we do something called follow the money. So we are also tracking the funding from the government and funding from other international uh, organizations. So purchasing just started from last last week. So we are hoping that we will gonna get more information and we'll be able to communicate to the communities for more discussion and dialogue. So I, I have to ask, there there is sort of a, a perception uh, that that the youth are sort of disengaged and and uh, you know they they they're not interested in politics and they would rather you know play video games all the time. Um, what sort of response have you seen from from the youth in, in Nepal? Uh, have you seen them involved in perhaps in, in the the work that you're doing with with civic acts? Uh, have you seen them you know volunteering to to deliver groceries to people? This sort of thing. What what sort of work have the youth? Done? No, there is. You can see there's a. There's a good amount of engagement from the young people. However, the young young people and also the youth organizations are still still awaiting, you know, the government response. So a lot of independent organizations like us and the people who want to support government is demanding, like their you know the involvement in in the in the response process. So people are, you know, sending appeal to the to the prime minister and and different ministries. We want to support you and you know you know. And in, in the government needs to call for volunteers. Um, uh, and then 
uh, you know, the, these organizations, including the political, you know, political youth uh, organization are, uh, you know, being very active in their, lo- in, in their communities in providing information, supplying foods and, and, and other, other stuff. So, however, compared to last earthquake, we don't see much of the involvement on the ground. It's maybe because of the lockdown. And now, you know, I think more than ever, we, I think this online community is being very, very active. So it's maybe there's no other options at the moment where people cannot do much in much physically. So the online campaigns are going really, really well. So people are using videos and, and they're doing a lot of, um, you know, on, online conferencing and sharing ideas and providing uh, suggestion and feedback to the government, you know, trying to track information around purchase of the PPP and, you know, you can see on the Twitter and, and, and WhatsApp, people are talking a lot about government's inability, you know, in, inability to, to purchase materials on time, supply, you know, distributing it to the districts and other villages, etc. So we have active youth communities. However, they are also limiting in certain, certain areas and not being much effective. And at this point, everybody is hoping that government would uh, will 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 we'll come. Will invite and like in UK and and then the newer New York. You know the the governor is, you know, inviting every time. Please come and help us. Please volunteers and we need you. So we don't have the government uh, doing such things yet. But I yeah I, I think you you do raise a good point that um, really this this sort of. <laughs> These large tech platforms is is where we're seeing the majority of of the activity, not just not just youth, but but everybody really, um, uh, and and so that that is encouraging in a way. Um, yeah. So so last last sort of question to to wrap it up. Um, in this situation, we're all learning from each other. This is a novel. This is a novel experience where we're all sort of figuring out the situations uh, that are, are the way forward together. Um, and I always like to to wrap up these conversations by asking if there's one thing that you could teach us in uh, the, our audiences, primarily in the United States, for these conversations. What would that be? <laughs> I think the one of the the one of the thing that we all need to learn is we need to listen uh, much from the from the ground and getting that real voice uh, the real uh, pictures what's going on the ground is really really important uh, while we're thinking for response and more than ever I think this is the time to really also to collaborate and share your share your experience uh, you know the knowledge and the resource you have and and also be flexible on on your operations and the way that you've been doing your operation and that you really need to be adaptive and, and be really really flexible and be ready to to take action that are that are very useful and relevant um, uh, to the community uh, at this stage and the second thing that I would also like urge to everyone is like though we have a lot of complaints and you know, grievances towards our government. But at the end of the day, when there's um, a pandemic like this, we, the only, you know, agency or the organization we we need to trust and we need to work and we need to support is the government. So we need to listen our government. We need to listen. We need to listen and support. But at the same time, as an aware and the conscious citizen and the critical citizen, we need to also keep raising voices or providing feedback. I think that's a great note to end on. Narayan, thank you so much for, for speaking with me today. Thank you. Thanks to Narayan Adhikari for speaking to us from Nepal. Stay tuned for more episodes in your feed on other democracy first responders. Before the coronavirus, Lebanon 
was home to one of the world's most vibrant people-powered protest movements, demanding accountable, transparent government. But restrictions on gatherings are straining this movement, and ruling elites and foreign powers are using the crisis to challenge the gains made by protesters and reestablish their own support. Makram Rabah is an activist, journalist, and professor of history at the American University of Beirut. Makram has been active in documenting Lebanon's protest movement and exposing efforts to silence it, and has been calling for reforms that respond to people's demands for change. We'll talk to Makram about how Lebanon's protest movement is adapting, and if it can survive in the era of COVID-19. For that interview and more, follow us on Twitter at IRI Global and subscribe to Global in your podcast app of choice. Until next time, I'm Dan Munns. Thank you for listening. <laughs>